0: Hello and welcome to the East Screen West Screen podcast. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and a lot of stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, coming to you from sunny South Florida and hopping at us in the year of the rabbit is Mr. Kevin Ma.
1: Hello there, Paul. Congratulations.
0: Hey, xi fa Sunny, yu, And all that good stuff, right?
1: Yep, yep, yep. yep. So how, how, how is your uh, Floridian New Year's? Uh, yeah, not
0: bad. Kids got their... Red packets—they're happy. Um, we're here on day five uh, at the time we're recording this. So, uh, how's things been over there?
1: Uh, it's it's not bad because um this year is the first time in three years that everything really opened up um, for Chinese New Year. Because uh, if you remember last year, we had the fifth wave, so it was pretty quiet um and before same we had another wave so the theaters were closed for the last two years um but this year it really feels like um hong kong version of the typical new year experience the shops outside are closed for an entire week they're closed for quite long actually some of my favorite shops are still closed today um and and the malls of course are open so they're packed with people and the, the theaters are packed with people so um it's been it's been a really you know, vital, very um, revitalized uh, New Year for us here in Hong Kong.
0: Yeah, one of the things they constantly talk about on various news channels is like the um, so-called post-COVID revenge consumerism, right? Whether it's (laughs) revenge travel or now it's revenge shopping. Do you find that with the cinema? Have the cinema crowds been larger than you would expect? It's been pretty huge.
1: Um, the theaters, I haven't seen theaters as packed since 2019, actually. Even 2020 wasn't that packed because that was just the beginning of the pandemic. So people were already kind of scared to go to theater, or some people were. So, um, it was actually quieter than usual, even three years ago. So this is the first time I've seen since 2019 where actually every day of the holiday, um, theaters were packed with people i mean there we weren't we didn't really have a lack of choices um well except a hollywood film we didn't really have a big hollywood film to to carry the holiday like they like like before but we've had um three four local films and of course slam dunk is still a huge hit here so it's been a very uh fruitful and uh i hope successful um, holidays for um the theaters even though actually I just got some data yesterday that um box office is still down 20 20% percent from 2019s Chinese New year or new New year uh, holiday but it is up by 20 percent from 2020 so so both good news and bad
0: yeah because 2020 had uh, alls well ends well 2020 which was
1: terrible <laughs> terrible it did not End well. That movie did not end well. But yeah, that movie did not end well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, I hope everybody out there listening is having a an excellent new Lunar New Year or Chinese New Year, as you you know, what, whichever way you prefer to call it. Um, we're here with a slightly different show. Uh, normally, this time of year, we like to get in and talk about all of the stuff that's out there um, for the Lunar New Year holiday. And uh, this year, I've managed to see one of those uh, range of films that have come out. I got a little bit lucky. And Kevin's going to talk about like two and a half of them. So we're not going to cover all of them, but we're going to cover what we've seen. And so Kevin's got a bit to cover, so I'm going to let him go
1: first. Yeah, sure. I mean, I've seen... So we, we have officially, we had three Hong Kong New Year releases. Um, those films are Sakura, the new Donnie Yen film, um, A Guilty Conscience, the the Dale Wan film, and Everything Under Control, the uh, local comedy... We also had early screenings of um, Say I Do to Me, which we talked about last show, but it doesn't officially open until this weekend. Again, I subtitled it, so I'm not gonna, I can't really go into detail about what I think about the film. Now,
0: have you guys gotten um, any release of The Wandering Earth 2?
1: No, no, I mean, no one's, no, <laughs> people in Hong Kong it, it still have well, first of all, it's funny because, um, as you know, Hong Kong audience has an aversion to mainland films still. Um, there have been a couple of uh, recent releases over the the December and November that didn't do well at all, really came by without a blip on the radar. Um, and I think um, Echo, the distributor of the first Wandering Earth, um, has their own big New, New Year film, so they released that instead of uh, the Wandering Earth two, mm. and you know it is three hours long. It has it doesn't have stars that are generally liked in Hong Kong, except maybe Andy Lau. But you know even Andy Lau's you know films don't always do well in Hong Kong because what well, he has so many of them, right? So um, he so I I don't know when if ever it's going to come out because the commercial prospects of it is just so. Kind of weak, uh, it, 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 at least in Hong Kong. At least in Hong Kong, um, actually, even in the mainland, it's not the biggest hit of the new near period. Uh, Zhang Mo's uh, Full River Red come back, came back from behind and has now taken a huge lead over The Wandering Earth Two. Um, so, so that's a, sort of a reversal of fortune that you know everyone thought that Wandering Earth Two was going to be this unbeatable juggernaut, and and then. You know Jiang Yimo and a and a pretty much a two and a half hour chamber play end up beating it. So it's kind of funny how how things work out.
0: Interesting, interesting. Well, I guess we're going to talk about another juggernaut of sorts up first. You're going to tell us about Sakura.
1: Yeah, well, Sakura is actually the, the um not the not juggernaut of the New Year holiday because first of all, it went directly to streaming in China. Even even Donnie didn't want to fight. You know Tony Learn, and Andy Lao, Wu Jing, and Jiang Yimo. Elsewhere in Taiwan, Southeast Asia, Hong Kong, it is a sort of a major theatrical release, even though it has flopped in the box office, at least in Taiwan and in Hong Kong. Um, but it is the adaptation um, of, uh, was it Demigods and. Uh, Semi Devils, I think. Demigods and yes. Semi Devils, yeah. Demigods and Semi Devils, the Louis Cha novel. Um, it is sort of the prequel of all the other novels, right? Um, in, in a sense, yeah, it happens. Uh
0: centuries before um the the condor hero saga i, I, I know that for sure so
1: okay so this one um covers the specifically the character of Chao feng um the leader of the beggar clan um the beggar clan being you know one of the biggest sort of martial arts sect uh in this world um and it sort of focuses on his sto- uh, his story uh what happens when he's kicked out of the beggar clan and um the ensuing uh his his, I guess, um, romance with a certain character, and that leads to sort of this huge brawn, him getting sort of um, outcast from the martial arts world. And um, that's it. It's not a very big story. Um, and it does seem to sit close to the character's arc. But the storytelling is purely wanting laziness, really. It's it's very um, everything is based on um, dialogue. Um, nothing is really that convincing. The characters aren't convincing, the acting isn't convincing, the dialogue seems perfunctory, it's just sort of exposit it's just all everyone's speaking exposition rather than you know as characters. Uh, um so it's a very sort of wanting take. And it's not it's not surprising because Wong Jing has recently done another one of these spin-offs of Louis Cha novels um, and also that, that one also went directly to streaming in China and it has been this um, trend in China for these films to be made directly to streaming um, for some reason they just can't make it to theaters or no one wants to see them the, the theatrical landscape is incredibly competitive in China. So to get a release slot costs a lot of money to promote, costs a lot of money to um to release, costs a lot of money to you know, it just a lot of film companies in the last especially since the pandemic started, just realized it's not worth the money to try and push these to theaters when not enough people are gonna go see them. So a lot of these films have gone straight to streaming, especially streamers who pay really big money because they're all trying to fight for that audience, um, especially a lot of those who have stayed home to watch films instead of going to the, to the cinemas, so um, Sakura of course went straight to streaming. Um, if you're coming to go watch the action, um, Donnie does direct this film, but he left the action to uh, Kenji Tanigaki, who is his of course longtime collaborator, and it is the best thing in the film. Those are uh, he has three major action set pieces, and all of them involves Danny uh, Donnie. Fighting lots of people—that's his whole thing, right? It's it's always about Donnie fighting a lot of guys. But this is a 130-minute film, so those scenes only really take up about 10% of the film. So if you're here to go watch the action in a 130-minute film, I think you're gonna end up finding yourself seeing a lot of characters that you don't know who they are because he sort of shoots this thing MCU style, whether where you know these people show up and you kind of people who know the novels would go like, Oh, it's him. Oh, you know, that kind of thing. Like the way you watch the MCU movie, but it doesn't work for me because I don't read the novels. I have no idea who these people are. Um, I have no idea, you know, how these people would pan out later on in the other stories or other parts of the novel. So, people who don't know the novels will probably come out not really impressed um i so which, which is why i look of look forward to what you think of it paul because you know these novels so you might get more out of this than me um i shouldn't be out criticizing other people's english subtitles because i'm a professional and you know professionals don't knock on other professionals, but be aware that some of the subs are really bad in this film. Uh, parts of them seem uh, almost Google translated. Other parts actually give the opposite of meaning, the opposite meaning of what the characters are saying. So um, yes, I watch Hong Kong films and I check other people's subtitles. I'm sorry. It, it's a force of habit. I can't help it. But um, because but because it's a martial arts film, it's a wuxia film, and they're all speaking in these sort of um, wuxia style Cantonese that I am not particularly um, fluent in. So I had to re- rely on English subtitles in some parts to, to know what's going on. Um, even though, I, you know, every word they say, I understand every word they're saying. But when put together, you know, it, it, it may take some time for me to process. So to, to sort of, you know, skip over that, I read the subtitles. And yeah, some of them really give the opposite meaning. At least I know that much that they're giving the opposite the meaning of what people are saying, so it's really bad. So be careful when you go in. Um, anyway, there's been so many adaptations of these stories that you know, um, the the film sort of assumes that you know who these people are. And for me, I felt kind of lost. Um, and you know, like I said, there've been so many adaptations of these. I don't know if we need Wan Jing's take on these novels. There've been many better ones, and and I don't particularly find this one good so anyway that's that's sakura for me um the next film is a guilty conscience this is um the directorial debut of jack moon who has co-written quite many uh blockbusters including quite a few of dante lamb's films um monster hunt 2 um anita most recently um so uh this is his directorial debut he also wrote it with two other writers i had translated the script for this including fixing um or you know tinkering with some of michael wall's english dialogue um because i was asked to do it so so don't worry it's not like i did it you know against the wishes of the writers or whatever actually the producer asked me to do it so i tinkered some of the english dialogue with the with the sort of remit that i don't mess up the legal terms so if you watch the film and you seem find some of them stilted it's because i can't touch some of the legal terms and i sort of kept my hands off dialogue with legal terms so anyway
0: but basically what you're telling us is that you put words in michael wong's mouth indeed <laughs> i did
1: indeed i did i wanted to put in a yoda line in his dialogue but i couldn't find a room i'm sorry i couldn't but anyway um so i can't comment on the film fairly because when you translate a script a film shows up in your head right so anything that comes out differently it takes time to sort of get used to it. And I I did not expect what the film was going to end up being. And it's not the director's fault. It's just that my imagination ran the film differently than the director. So that said, I can tell you that the script is one of the entertaining, uh, entertaining scripts I ever translated. Um, I found myself uh, unable to stop working on it i i kept working on it because i wanted to see what happened next not because i'm particularly hard working um it's just because the um the film is about this um judge who is really incompetent um to sort of make money before his retirement he decides to become a barrister you know and be and be you know become friends with tycoons and work for rich people and just make that cash instead of you know putting in any real effort but on his first First case, he takes on this case of a model who has been accused of um, um, hurting her daughter, neglecting her daughter to the point um, where she is seriously injured. And because of his incompetence, um, the model ends up getting uh, sent to prison for 17 years. So to make up for it. now he is sort of determined to make to make up for it he decides to sort of work to help the poor and and the the you know the the oppressed blah blah, blah. um and of course when new clues come out he he actually um brings the the, the case to trial again so that's the whole sort of storyline um i find dale Wong's character really intriguing it, um i found the the case uh really intriguing want to see how it turned out so i translated this incredibly quickly um because it was just such a you know sort of page turner uh so i really like that a lot so i, I think um a lot of pe- i hope a lot of people will see that when you when they see the film um dale wong i know a lot of uh foreign hong kong film fans don't get dale wong even people those in hong kong <laughs> like like i know friend of the show ross he never understood dale wong like no, you know he never got there and which and it's fine because dale wong's a stand-up comedian and he is in fact he is the stand-up comedian in Hong Kong, you know, when um, there's a certain uh, Hong uh, Kong-born comedian in America who likes to go around and tell people that, there's no stand-up comedy in Hong Kong, you know, that's why what I'm doing is so special, but actually there's been stand-up comedy in Hong Kong since the late 80s and early 90s, and that's because of Dale Wong. Dale Wong is the pioneer of stand-up comedy in Hong Kong, and he started... Doing shows in very small venues, then going up to bigger venues like 5,000 people venue, and now he he does 40 sold out shows in the Hong Coliseum. That's how big he is. So um, that's his sort of bread and butter. So his his humor has always been about this sort of sardonic wit, and um, always been in his verbal expression. It's not he's not the type of slapstick comedians that people want to see in Stephen Chow films or even uh, Ronald Chang films or whatever. Um, But, you know, he, he, but he tried for that sort of slapstick film career. And, you know, it's never worked out because they never end up being very good because that's not really who he is. Um, So, in fact, I always thought that the role that he has here as this sort of um, sarcastic, um, witty, um dramatic character but who who dishes out the comedy who dishes out the sort of the biting sort of um the biting insults uh at people that's really what he's fit to do and i feel like this is his best role ever i think in his film career this is the one that is fitting his style most um this is the one where people finally understand his appeal i think outside of hong kong um so this has been of course a mega hit in Hong Kong. It broke records. It has uh it is the fastest Hong Kong film ever to reach 30 million dollars uh Hong Kong dollars. It uh I think it took the biggest single day uh box office uh in Lunar New, New Year history for a Hong Kong film. So it has been a huge huge hit. And I think um I think you will see why when you see this I think it deserves it. I think it's um, it's a very interesting sort of court drama, but of course, done with a lot of a lot of humor. Thanks to Dayo Wong. Um, although I am very curious of how, you know, foreign film fans who have watched grew up watching, you know, legal dramas in their own country, like, say, America or the UK, how they would um see a film like this, because Hong Kong doesn't have a lot of legal dramas. Um we have uh, a, TV, a hit t v series back in the nineties we had those um Andy Lau and Dini yip films um but otherwise we don't have a lot of legal dramas it's not really a big thing in Hong Kong or at least not a very popular drama in Hong Kong one because i guess a lot of not a lot of lot of writers want to attempt it um I think people do watch it, but not a lot of creatives want to do it because it is—they are very talky, and it is there's a lot of stereotypes about saying objection and blah blah. A lot of stereotypes in, in those legal dramas. So, I think I think th- people think that there's no real new ground to break in it. Maybe it's too much talk talking for Hong Kong audiences. But this has been one of those legal dramas that turned out really well, and and this is on the heels of the sparring partner. Um, which uh, has been a huge, huge surprise hit in Hong Kong. So it seems like people now, Hong Kong audiences now have a thing for legal dramas. It's it's very interesting. Um, The third film, I can't really go into it because it's everything under control. I subbed it. I had just subbed it a month ago before we recorded. So before the the New Year's, I had just finished subbing it because it was a very last minute job. It was a very rushed post-production. So now I've seen it four times in a month. So I can't rate it fairly. I found it really wacky. It's a little bit uneven, like all uh, Lunar New Year comedies is a bit of, you know, really wacky, weird fun. Um, so you know, maybe check it out. I can understand if people don't like it. Um, it is too wacky. It is a bit too uneven at points. But I had a, a lot of fun doing it. So so um, so I kind of liked it. But I, I I don't take my word for it. That's what I'm saying. So th- that's Hong Kong Lunar New Year for me.
0: All right, so I guess that throws the ball over to me. Um, as I said, I did get out to see one film uh, for the New Year's releases this year. It wasn't Wandering Earth 2 uh, because, uh, you know, that's a, that's a long beast, and I'm just not going to do it I'm wait for Netflix on that one. But I did get out to see New Gods Yang Jin, which is the sequel to the New Gods uh, Naza Reborn or Naya Reborn film uh, released by Chasing Light Animation uh, a couple years back.
1: Wait a minute, is this the extension of that, that the NEJA cinematic universe?
0: Okay, so no, this is not the 2019 Naja, uh, which is from a different studio, <laughs> okay? The one that broke all the records, right? This one is from Chasing Light Animation, who did the Whitesnake film, and they did a subsequent sequel called uh, Whitesnake 2, The Tribulations of Green Snake, and uh, they've now done this film, they also had an earlier film that was a bit of a hit called um Little Door Gods back in 2015. And so they've had a, a successive series of films that have been successes. Not the NASA level success. Um which <laughs> we can say kind of kicked things off. So yeah, this is a but this is a sequel to uh uh the new gods series, not uh NASA Reborn, which uh unlike the 2019 Niza, Naza character which was very sort of traditional even though they kind of made that character a bit emo and a bit uh, grumpy compared to the old, old animation into sequels um, to that very classic work um, if you're not sure what that is investiture of the gods or function is this big uh, literary work um, that predates the journey to the west series um, and t- tells about sort of the gods you know, people becoming immortals and kind of found the the foundings of heaven and and this big wars that's going on at the same time and there have been quite a few adaptations um, even a couple animated ones uh, that I forget which year it came out. Do you remember, Kevin? League of Gods, the sort of big... yeah. League of Gods? Wait, the, the live-action one? Yeah. The live-action one.
1: The yeah, huge, the huge flop, flop, flop with, of, with, 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 every, with everybody in it, um, basically.
0: Um, yeah, that, that's... Yeah, that, was like, that was like 20... That's a live-action version of this story, uh, Investiture of the Gods. Anyway, what they've done with these stories is they've said, okay, we're going to take these characters because they're popular. We're not going to retell the same story. We're going to push it you know into the future well after the, the you know the, the the these stories and that'll give us some room to play with these characters and do different things with them the timeline is a bit muddy and please do excuse me I'm I'm still getting over a bit of a cold so I'm having to hit the cough button every few minutes here so the story here is that it takes place about 1500 years after Fang Shenbang um, A.K.A. Investiture of the Gods, and Yang Jin, who's also known as Erlang Shen. He is the immortal who has the th- the middle third eye, who people will recognize um, not just from Investiture of the Gods, but also Journey to the West, because he fights Monkey King during the havoc in Heaven segments. Okay, um, very powerful, you know, general and warrior up in in the Heavenly Kingdom. Very well known and well liked character. Um, So 1,500 years later, uh, after all of that, he's living a life now as a bounty hunter. And things take a turn when he is tasked to go after a young rogue who bears a secret grudge against him um, that is slowly uncovered and the connection between these two characters. More than a few reviews have likened this Um, sort of to sort of what they would call like a lackluster cowboy bebop so if you're familiar with the anime cowboy bebop and kind of the slightly westernized theme that it goes for even though it's sort of a science fiction kind of bounty hunter kind of thing um with regarding to the tone the musical cues and a lot of that they they kind of put that on here um it's a mixture i would say between that and between these sort of fantastical wuxia elements um that are still touching back to the sort of traditional iconography of these characters in these stories. As I said, the timelines here are a bit hazy. Um, according to the literatures, Investiture of the Gods happens in 1500 1600s BC, and then Journey to the West takes place roughly 7th century AD. Right? So these stories are seemingly, if you've seen um, New Gods, Nazar Reborn, um, you get an idea that this is supposed to be taking place kind of after Journey to the West, but you're not sure how long after. So it's a very kind of hazy timeline. But this animation, you know, and it's fantastical animations. These characters live in a steampunk wuxia world. Okay, and that's why I said they really get to pl- they get to play <laughs> with these characters in a very different way than simply retelling them in that sort of traditional genre. Uh, Yang Jin, he like cruises around on this sky ship, uh, as it were, as he as he goes after bounties. And there's kind of like this mixture between some steampunk elements, but some very traditional sort of Chinese mystical elements at the same time. Um, this film was uh, hinted at initially in post credit scenes, both in New Gods: Naza Reborn and the second White Snake film, uh, Green Snake. You got to see an introduction of the character in. Naza film and then you got to see an actual short scene from the movie in the Green Stank film This is a self-contained story and there's a lot more kind of character background and world-building going on than really anything else Nothing really connects it back to the Naza story except for a mid-credits scene Um, and unfortunately, I can't really go into much detail beyond that because the film stopped running (laughs) Right in the middle, that med credit scene. So I didn't see the whole thing.
1: <laughs> oh, did they did they MCU it as well?
0: I don't know. Yeah, there um, and and with these films, a lot of them. I mean, like with NASA, even the the 2019 NASA nineteen Naza with uh, new gods with the Green Snake and White Snake, they had like multiple mid credit scenes going on, right? Um, and sometimes it's a, a highlighting, for example, a, a new Uh, movie coming Um, sometimes it's a scene from something else you're not you're not really sure Um, so like I said nothing nothing that I got to see before the movie cut out um, because it didn't finish it didn't finish with all the credits um, you know pointed back to uh, any like overarching threat or overarching thing but I'm guessing because it's part of the new gods line that they're Building to something where these characters are going to come together and meet and, and do something interesting together. Now that being said, I don't think Greensnake and White Snake are part of this new God's universe, although I'm not 100 percent sure, because like I said, they did show a scene from Yang Jin in one of the mid-credit scenes in Green Snake, but it was just a scene. Um, like they were kind of showing off footage. I don't get the sense that their storylines are connected, even though, I don't know, Snake is, she was in kind of sort of a futuristic, steampunky kind of place. Whereas Whitesnake, their first film was very traditional. It was kind of a very traditional take on the story. and So yeah, you get, uh, in, in some ways, the story here is not all that exciting um, because it's a lot like the Nasa Reborn story In that you've got a hero that you're waiting to become a hero, and you expect him to be a lot more heroic sooner, I guess. Um, And so it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's not an origin story in this case. You know, it's not like the 2019 NASA film. It's not like Batman, where you've got to go through the whole origin, because these characters, you already know their origin... But they're still having to sort of reinvent themselves in some way, shape, or form. Um, so there's a lot of similarities in in the storytelling beats that are going on. Um, but that being said, I think that probably Naza Reborn did a better job in, in that sense. I think it also had better focus on some of the secondary characters, which were a bit more interesting. I mean, this, um, in, in the Yang Jin story, it does have some secondary characters. You get to see characters like Shen Gong Bao, uh, Mo Li Ching, Mo, Mo Li Hai, those are like the big door guardian uh, demons that are very, very famous in some iconography. Um, you get to see them at play here. And it, it's, again, like I said, there's a lot of world building, a lot of character exposition as they're kind of building this out to be this bigger universe. Um, so it's fun seeing that kind of stuff. It's got this tonal similarity, um throughout the series but the animation i think with each entry has increased the other great thing too is that they've been very timely with their releases i mean you go back to uh i think white snake was a 2019 film same year that the other nasa film came out and, and made so much impact um then you have green snake and nasa reborn um, from the new god series both in 2021 and then uh, Yang Jin was supposed to be a 2022 release, but got pushed back. I think it was released in China at the end of 2022, and we just got it this month uh internationally. So I don't know if their plan is, again, to alternate between these two series because there's definitely more to the white snake green snake story based on some of the post credit scenes we saw in that. Um, and so I don't know if we're getting a third snake film next, or we're getting another New Gods entry next. But um, they've been a lot more timely. Still haven't heard anything from the studio that did uh, the first NASA film, um, and that made so much money. You'd think they'd be rushing something out. There was actually a the, the I think it was a Zhang Zia film that was this sort of sequel to that, but that did not do very well. As I understand it, it was called uh, Legend of the Deification, I believe. And um, yeah, it was pretty dull in comparison to the first NASA film. So I don't know if that's kind of put the brakes on a NASA two um, coming out as sooner rather than later. Of course, we've had lots of COVID issues going on as well. There was some cross promotion with the 2021 animated film called Monkey King Reborn, um, which is pretty good. um, I would say I, I really enjoyed it, but that's kind of a, I don't think that's supposed to be part of the, the verse, as it were, um, and it's definitely not part of the New Gods universe, different animation studio there as well. So yeah, I, I think that uh, one of the things that's really been impressive is that Light Chaser Animation has been able to really do such good work consistently. Like I said, it hasn't broken uh, astounding box office records, but they've been consistent with their work and with their sort of release schedule. Um, in a way that makes me look forward to a lot more that they have on offer. Uh, and China itself has been re- making really good strides, um, just in animation in general. I mean, again, we go back to sort of NASA as that, that spark point that really got the world's attention. But Light Chaser Animation, as I mentioned, they had this really nice, cute little film um, called uh, Little Door Guardians, or it was actually called The Guardian Brothers, I think, when it was purchased by Netflix. Little Door Gods, I, I'm sorry, and Guardian Brothers. And that was on Netflix for quite a while. I actually watched it a couple times, but it's now gone uh, off of Netflix. And uh, I've not been able to find a physical media version of that available. But um, they, they, like I said, uh, China's been really making great strides with their, their animated works um, and theat- theatrical releases and elsewhere. Uh, I just started watching this great uh, new series from a smaller studio. Uh, that just got released on Netflix. It's called No Doubt in Us um, from a group called Paper Plane Animation out of China. Um, And uh, it's really nice. I mean, it's obviously borrowing a lot of the aesthetic from Japanese animation, but they're also using sort of 3D cartoon render technology um, and doing some really good storytelling. And anybody who is out there playing video games, you've probably heard of Genshin Impact, Mihoyo's big juggernaut, that's also kind of doing the same thing it's really nice to see that uh, there's a lot of good quality animation starting to come out whereas at one time the the quality was kind of you know go back to some of the stuff coming out in the mid-2000s it was it was kind of rough uh, a lot of times and you get the occasional gem here and there so it's nice to see um, really good quality coming out on a much more frequent basis Um, if you have very little idea of anything that I've been talking about. If you're not familiar with Light Chaser Animation or you haven't seen any of this stuff, um, it's pretty much readily available. You can easily find uh, White Whitesnake uh, from the 2019 film uh, on Hulu. Um, it's, it's a good film. It's an interesting retelling of, of that story. And like I said, it's pretty traditional. Um, but uh, do be advised that... Uh, I... Uh, I went to saw this see this in the cinema. Um again, back in twenty nineteen I'd taken my daughter to watch the twenty nineteen NASA because it was like, you know, uh, oh, it's Chinese cartoon, it's Pixar, right? It's it's just like that. And NASA was perfect for her. Um then I took her to see Whitesnake, and nope. <laughs> it is pretty violent <laughs> and there's a little bit of implied sexy time going on. And there's one character in particular who's um uh, you know, the, the, a fox character that you can kind of look up and go hmm yeah uh that maybe maybe not not so good for the kiddies um <laughs> so yeah just be advised you know probably your younger kids are you know not super suited for that uh as yet both new gods Nazareborn born and green snake uh the sequel to white snake interestingly both from 2021 are on netflix um so you can catch them there And I said, as I said, uh, Little Door Gods used to be there too. No longer there, unfortunately. And the 2021 film uh, Monkey King Reborn is currently playing free on Tubi. And of all of these things that I've mentioned, and this is a big sticking point for me, only two of these currently have physical media releases. And that is the first Whitesnake film, which you can get get on Blu-ray. And um, the Monkey King Reborn film, which was, um, I think that's a well-go release. So you can also find that pretty cheaply on Blu-ray as well. None of the other films have gotten physical media releases anywhere that I've seen. Not in Hong Kong, uh, not over in Southeast Asia. I think I've seen a Green Snake DVD released out of Korea. But it's only a DVD and it says it has no... Uh, English subtitle options and it's pretty pricey and I'm not sure it's an official release or not but um, the other stuff like I said Guardian Brothers um, or Little Door Gods now gone from Netflix and I find no official physical media releases of that anywhere which is a shame so, because it's like I want to watch it again with my kids and I can't this is the thing that's uh, we've talked about before Kevin that's really starting to irk me and it's, it seems especially true with um, this stuff that uh, seems to get swept up by Netflix. And even when they lose it, we don't seem to be, you know, anybody picking it up for physical media distribution.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, even in China, um, you know, or even India, where, you know, streaming has really taken off and people have really turned to content online. Physical media has pretty much has vanished in China and in India. Um, and it's left up to the rest of us in Hong Kong, Taiwan, um, Japan, maybe to sort of pick up the pieces. But yeah, the problem is that ne- same thing has happened in Taiwan, that Netflix went and swept up all these big Ta- uh, commercial Taiwanese films. And those have never come out on physical media because of Netflix, you know, anything that takes away business from Netflix, they sort of determine that they have to stop. I I'd assume that it's either one the local distributors don't find any value in in putting out physical media release because it's on netflix or two which is a bit sinister and a bit cynical is that netflix prevents these actively prevents these from happening and i don't know which it is because i don't meet these contracts i have no idea what the insider um whatever it is It, it feels like both are possible you know that distributors just don't find it worthwhile to put out physical media and unfortunately I was just thinking about this as you were talking about it is that it turns these films into content and content people forget content people watch content they move on films no, no longer have that evergreen or that extended value that they used to have you know back then when films sort of lived on physical media they get rediscovered they get um people you know take action they they actively Rediscover films or they actively have a longer shelf life or films uh, are revived because of physical media and um, rep, what we call repertoire, repertory screenings uh, in cinemas. And you have, with streaming sort of just wiping up these films and sort of dispersing them like content. And And don't don't get me wrong. I love Netflix. I love my streaming services. Because it opens me up to so many so much more content. But the the, the sort of the double edged sword of this is, is that they sweep up this content and they they sort of throw it away. They have no idea what they have in their hands. They throw it away. No one wants to pick it up because once the content is off a streaming platform, their value is kaput. And therefore there's no more need to waste money to distribute them in on physical media. That's what they're deemed as. Um, and we're left with only Criterion and Kino Lorber, the, the distributors who sort of do arthouse films or, or who, who deem uh, something that's artistically important. Uh, they, they deem those films as worthwhile for physical media while everything in the middle sort of gets thrown away by the wayside. And it is a really sad situation. And, um, you know, that's unfortunately how it is when even the country of origin uh, ignores these films or throw it away once they're, you know out in the open, and they sort of just throw away to streamers and try and reach uh, a, a biggest possible audience in a short amount of time. The films stop stop, you know, being of value. We were talking about those um Neza, I already don't know where to get Neza. I don't I, I've heard, I have half forgotten about that film until you mentioned um this one, and I forgot, and I mistakenly thought it has to do with ninja because. There has been so little word, like you said, so little word of what happened to that studio. And even though Neza was just a few years ago, and it's sort of been already forgotten because it's already come, it's sort of content cycle or is value as content has already come and gone, and that's really sad.
0: Yeah. Um. Uh, the good thing with Neza is that they did get physical media releases for the the 2019 one. Um. I think I I originally bought the. Uh. There was a Hong Kong Blu-ray that came out. I think. I don't know. Is it was it WellGo who had the rights in the States? Yeah, WellGo had the release rights in the States, and they're pretty good about putting Blu-rays out. So they have a Blu-ray for that, and they have a 4K uh, UHD Blu-ray for that one as well. That's pretty cheap, I mean, and, and still easy easy to get. And that's still on Netflix too, I believe. Um, and that's not to be confused with, again, New Gods, Nezareborn. Reborn, different thing, different studio altogether. Do check out all this stuff, and I would say, yeah, if... Um, If you're on the lookout, do try and get out and see A Guilty Conscience wherever it comes out at, because that's the one that uh, I'm really looking forward to out of everything this Lunar New Year. And you have been listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Snauzer Radio Orchestra. If you would like to be part of the show, please get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. Follow us at Twitter at Comcast and email us at Eastscreen at gmail.com. Find us on East uh, Facebook at East Wests. As always, follow with what Kevin does. Kevin, where can they find out more about you?
1: You can follow me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word at the Golden Rock. Um, if you're looking out for you know films that I've worked on, for no other reason than I've worked on it, um, I do have uh, everything under control out right now. That's in the UK, in the US, in Canada, I believe. Um, also, I worked on "Mercy I Do to Me." I think will come out in the UK eventually. I'm not sure when and yeah a couple of other films they're sort of in the pipeline but you know have no release dates yet so hopefully you guys will see them close uh, soon enough um otherwise i do run a website that i don't run much it's called asia in cinema that will be back for the hong kong film awards but even the dates for the hong kong film awards haven't been uh hasn't actually been announced yet so I think the nomination uh, period just ended today. So as we're recording this, so it might take a few more weeks before we know when that's happening. But I will be back to do a live blog if, if, and that's big if I am in town. So we'll see what happens. Look forward
0: to that. I I also forgot to pick your brain a little bit because we are in the week of the Oscar announcements, right? Um, Some uh, obviously a lot of love being shown for everything, uh, everywhere, all at once, right? and uh, some history in the making. Do you think it's going to win?
1: I think it's 50-50. I think that you do have older um, traditional writers, uh, I mean mean voters, who will go for something like the Fablemans, and I am a huge fan of the Fablemans. I love Spielberg, and I am also a big fan of everything, everywhere, all at once. So um, it, it didn't win the Golden Globes, which doesn't matter because the voters do not overlap, I think. So um, it all depends on how that film will do in the upcoming Guild Awards, so Directors Guild, uh, Actors Guild, because actors take up the biggest um, number of voters in the Academy, uh, and the producers Guild, um, and the writers Guild. So let's see what happens in those. First, if they all go for Spielberg, then it's Spielberg, if it's sort of 50-50, then it's all sort of up in the air. I don't, well, one, I don't get paid to do this, and even the people who do get paid to do this can't give you an exact guess. So um, I don't want to say I'm siding with each of the films. I'm not really the one who wants... He- who- I don't really chase headlines, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, cool, so, so you know, oh, she'll be the first, blah, blah, blah. He'll be the first, blah, blah. This one will be the first, blah, blah. I mean, the thing is, well, is the film good enough, first of all? I don't want it to be a token award. So um, let's see what happens. I like both front runners equally um i like them both quite a bit and um i do yeah so it is in the end i think it's kind of between be, between the fablemans and everything everywhere R ones so yeah
0: i was reading one article too that was talking about sort of lamenting the fact that rrr did not make it into best
1: picture category yeah so rrr um for internal reasons or whatever local reasons uh it was not selected for the best foreign film race uh, At the oscars uh, by india so but it was eligible in all the other categories and i'm thrilled that natu natu got um, nominated for best original song but yeah with the four sort of you know now i think they have to nominate 10 films for best picture and it's R rr still didn't get in and it's okay because at the end of the day a lot of the voters are more traditional um they're not going to be into these this three hour over-the-top, and let's face it, a bit corny, a bit cheesy uh, film that is quite squarely against white colonizers. You know, so they're not gonna be very much into this film. So, it's okay. I understand why it didn't get in. Um, it's understandable. Um, you know you know how everyone talks about snubs? The thing is, uh, except for Best Picture, there can only be five films. There can only be five nominees for each category. So, when you're saying... This from Nub, This from snub This from Nub. Are you willing to say the films that got nominated? Which film not, that got nominated shouldn't be there? And can you narrow down five nominees that you would vote for? You know, and try not to think about it. You know, are you gonna say Avatar has, you know, worse directing than than say Everything Everywhere All At Once? No, because I mean it's a huge undertaking. Avatar is a huge undertaking, and it's a huge technical feat. And it is a very engaging film. So it's very weird. Are you going to say Kate uh, Blanchett shouldn't be there? Shouldn't be nominated over a certain nominee that got snubbed or that didn't get nominated? So you know that kind of, that kind of conversation it's it's all very ridiculous to me because like there are only five, and yeah, some of the choices are a bit uh, safe. But that's the sort of the democratization of the Oscars. It represents the view of thousands of people, rather than, say, one organization of, say, ten people, like a film jur- film festival jury or something. It is a huge vote. So this is what it, it's saying. You know, I think it feels like it's saying more about the entire Hollywood industry, what p- those people see films at large, rather than saying the Academy or what the Oscar is saying. It's, it's a sort of a democracy kind of thing. So if you're going to fix anything, Fix all of Hollywood. Fix everyone who works in Hollywood, not just the Academy. You can't really fix the Academy because the Academy don't choose the films. But anyway, I I can't go on and on about this.
0: Alright, well there you have it folks. We will hopefully be back to talk about these things uh, once the awards are over. As always, please do check out our friends over at the podcast on Fire Network. And until then, this has been the East Green West Green Podcast saying we wish you a happy Chinese New Year
1: and we'll see you next time. See you next time everybody.